Sense everyone, Nine Sense is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today I'm being joined by the one and only Jesse. How are you, my dear? Doing good. Sweet. I am so excited. Ah, every time I get an extra week in a series of episodes in a month, I, f- I feel like I just, I'm, I'm missing time <laughs> with uh, contributors <laughs> like yourself that, that record it live with me, so I always love having my first week of the month with Jesse. So nice. Um, it is great to have you the listeners as well. It is September 6th and we have a fantastic show for you this week. We're going to start off with the nine cents letters. I've been sitting on this one for a long time. Sorry, lots of other things to get to, but we're going to be talking about the Trump man himself. That is Donald Trump. Uh, then we're going to do a little something different with Heather Height. I've listened to this already and it kicks ass. It is episode 12, 10 Pan Alley Cats. And of course, Jesse's here with another I Dream of Jesse episode 29, I think. What is this one about? Retirement planning. Ooh. Because nothing brings out the sexy, like, you know, thinking of getting old and wrinkly. <laughs> <laughs> when I get, it takes a equity to get me hot. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> uh, and then on the other side of that, we're going to do a little between the horns. Uh, again, I've already listened to this. Privilege of uh, putting these things together. It's episode seven, Craven Images, and it's really, really good, uh, as uh, Between the Horns always is. So look forward to that at the tail end, and that's going to be the entirety of the show. So let's start. Uh, well, you know what? Actually, uh, before I <clears throat> get to this here, I just finished today um, putting a intro and outro for the Get to Know the Voices of Nine Cents Warlock M.A. Mandrake episode. So I'm going to be releasing that tomorrow. So as you're tuning into this, it's either going to be released uh, later that day or it's already been released. So go check out the YouTube channel. Check that out. If you were not able to uh, watch it live, it is going to be up uh, you know, maybe for a month or maybe a little less than that for you to, to catch. It's a really good one. Warlock Mandrake is a fascinating individual and he does a really, really stellar job in this get to know episode. So uh, do yourselves a favor and, and get to know him. Um, that's really all I have. I, I was making peanut butter cookies all morning and <laughs> now my stomach really hurts because I've eaten too many of them. Because I'm a stupid little kid and I don't know when to stop. <laughs> it's like a down downfall of mine. Does that happen to you, Jesse? Do you do you like bake and then end up overindulging in what you made? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <just not. laughs> it's horrible because I do feel like I'm. I have to be the kid reaching into the cookie jar at the same time as the parent smacking my own hand away from the cookie jar. <laughs> like I don't. I don't want. I don't like this forcing of dualities here. Um, but anyway, that's that was my weekend so far. I don't have to work tomorrow, so that's gonna be awesome. Um, you know, kicking it. Do you do you work on uh, Labor Day? Uh, I probably will end up doing some work, but I don't have to like go in the office or anything. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, enjoy mm-hmm. the time off if you get it, people. That's what we're all about, us Satanists. Satan, I. <laughs> 
is it a gaggle of Satan I? <laughs> what do we call ourselves? <laughs> a murder of Satan I? Um, oh, right. no, no. <laughs> Not that, no. A pride of Satanist. There it is. That's perfect. <laughs> That's actually perfect. Oh, wonderful. Uh, One-upping me as always, Jesse. <laughs> Gotta love it. Let's do a little nine cents letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Is Donald Trump a de facto Satanist? Even though the State Bible says that anybody who's ever made it on their made it on their own will could be considered satanic, I think Trump is definitely a de facto. He says what he means, and he means what he says. He has never tried drugs or alcohol. He's play, uh, he's playing the world of politics like fiddle a la satanic witch. Uh, the advice he gives in The Art of the Deal sounds like he may have even read the Satanic Bible. I can't ever find him guilty of committing any of the nine Satanic sins, and believe me, there are plenty of, plenty of celebrities who commit these sins on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I have uh, <laughs> definitive opinions on this, but I would really love to hear what you think. First. Well, first off, I don't think there's anyone alive who hasn't committed any of the nine satanic I'm big on the stupidity one that one gets me every time I love that too like I've never seen this person commit any sins believe me believe me we have all all of us done a, done if not one all of them yeah I'd have to think through each one but I'm probably I've probably done them all <laughs> this month yeah. and it's, it's only the six yeah it's still early we have a long way to go. Oh man. Okay, but that that aside, um, no, I can I can see where somebody would like throw him up as you know a candidate of a de facto. Um, you know he's very egocentric, but that's not mm -hmm. necessarily a bad thing. You know he's turned himself into you know rather than just okay. So first off, I'm not like a. Um, an expert on all things Trump, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I haven't read his uh, Art of the Deal. I think I've only seen like a couple episodes of Celebrity Apprentice, so that's that's you know th that and the things you hear on the news are about all I know about the guy. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, I mean, he's a successful businessman. He's had his ups and, and downs, but he's made a lot of money, and he's also turned himself into the thing that sells more than just his business. You know, he, he puts his face on something and that sells things. So there's there's some success in that. And, you know, his whole, what he's doing now with the uh, Republican candidacy, I kind of like that he's in the mix. And that's not to say that I would vote for the guy, but I like that he's out there saying these things because you get all these other candidates out there who are trying to be the most conservative guy out on the stage and they can't be with him in the mix. It just totally throws all of their game plans off, and I think that's hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, and in a way, that's kind of you know the, the Satanist in there doing that. I, so I, I can definitely see where this guy's going with this. Um, I don't know that I would. I, and I guess where I would go with it is, it doesn't really matter if he's a de facto. If you see him as a de facto Satanist, then he is an inspiration to you, and just use that. And it doesn't matter what Adam or I think. I think that's an interesting point, because we often, you know, we, 
We assign authority to people whom we think have something in common with ourselves. So you see this a lot in, in uh, Satanists where they look at historical figures or other people uh, living their life successfully and they say, well, I like that part of them, whatever that is, uh, let me sort of compare it and see if our, our thought and philosoph uh, philosophical ideas sort of line up in any places. So I guess maybe, maybe my point being is, is that we like to assign de facto terms of uh, onto people that we admire, but that doesn't necessarily make them uh, a paragon of Satanism, uh, of Satanist, as it were. And and what I guess I'm going to ask you a question here, Jesse. Yeah. Why do you think we assign and 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 what's the point, really? I guess what's the point of assigning uh, the title of de facto Satanist to someone else? What do we get out of it? Uh, I, a couple of things. I think, in a sense, when you see somebody you admire, you you just want to have something in common with them. I think that's kind of natural. Um, I would say, you you know, my imaginary de facto Satanist, and I don't actually think he's a Satanist, but it would be Penn Jillette, because I really admire a lot about him. Not mm -hmm. everything about him, but mm -hmm. a lot. And so, you know, there's, I'll admit there's some kind of cool factor of like, wow, what if he was a member of the same church as I am? You know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, it's stupid, but it's human to think that way. Mm -hmm. um, another thing about it is because we're such a very underground church, I mean, most members are not out. Mm -hmm. It's not like you can have very many actual living role models out there and role models are important i mean if you if you are trying to get ahead in life it often helps to find somebody else who's already gotten ahead and, and model after what they're doing mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm all for having role models the the danger in in calling out somebody like donald trump or pendulette as a de facto is if you start to think of them as being a satanist and as a role model you might overlook some of the and start to uh, mimic some of the things that they do that are not satanic and I think that you, know, you, you were kind of already coming into this prepared for an argument against Donald Trump I'm sure and I think there are a lot of good points you could make about the, you know there's things he does that are very definitely not satanic and yeah. you kind of have to if you're going to use him as a role model you have to be very selective in the contexts in which you do that <clears throat> Yeah, I've heard this about uh, Gene Simmons as well. Um, he would be a good candidate for a de facto Satanist. I, and I'm always I'm more interested, I think, in the reasons people assign that title to someone than the someone that they're assigning the title to. Like, what is it about this person that you find so uh, engaging that you want them to be like you? Because we're not saying we're de facto Gene Simmons or we're de facto Donald Trump's. We're saying they are like us. And that takes a special bit of ego in there. Like we are, I mean, let's be honest, we're saying this. We're pretty self-centered anyway. Um, and for good cause, but uh, sometimes it can, uh, you know, be a little overblown. Um, uh, you always have to check your ego, people. And so you're saying I am the highest embodiment of life 
people are looking up to that person, I'm greater than him. I'm going to put the title on, on onto him that I already claim upon myself. Like, I, it's like a, a, a king knighting a squire or something, you know? Like, I grant you this title, now serve me. You know, I don't, I don't really understand the point of looking for other people to be Satanists when I'm perfectly content just self-identifying and that being as far as I care. Like, I don't need other people out there to be Satanists. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this individual does. I'm just, the, the act of assigning it to other people, I think, is really fascinating. Um, I find... I find many more faults personally in Donald Trump than I see any virtue. Um, I I do admire the um, speaking off the cuff, uh, the open honesty. I don't appreciate it when there aren't facts backing up a statement, especially when it's a fact-based argument that's being made um, against. So, you know... And you look at someone like Donald Trump who's running for president, and that's really the only reason why he's being talked about right now. Um, and the only thing, like if you go to his website, for example, uh, the only thing he has on there as cause is immigration. And, and so when you're talking about someone who is only in the media because of his um, run for the... Republican nomination for president and his only platform idea is immigration reform and it's all in a bombastic um, uh, non-reality based argument uh, approach you have to ask yourself why would you want to side with a person like this what, what about this is really what you're liking and uh, this individual says that um, uh he's not guilty of committing any of the sins, and I'm not going to go through and, and shit on the dude. I just, um, you know, linked to the Ninth Satanic Sins to remind people if we got to that point. I'm not entirely sure we will. Um, but comparing it to plenty of celebrities who commit these sins on a daily basis is an interesting idea, because if you're saying that Donald Trump is a de facto Satanist because you haven't witnessed him committing sins like other celebrities, you're putting him into a pool of admitted non-Satanists, and it's like you're just fishing for someone that could be a Satanist, rather than letting these people stand on their own. I don't know if I'm being clear on that. I think it's weird that you would lump all this group of people of celebrity together and say, hmm, I need to pick a de facto. What are the traits, or, or what are the sins that I haven't witnessed personally in order to do so? Well, what, to me, what makes a great Satanist is someone that stands on their own, that has done things for themselves, and that doesn't necessarily mean like you were born from nothing and you made yourself from nothing. It's just the idea of um, you self-represent in a, in a powerful and positive way for you. There's no arguing that Trump has been, uh, I would say in the grand scheme of his career, more successful than not, though, though he has had many, many failures, but anyone of authority uh, in the business world has, he's, he's not self-made, but he did do very, very well with what was given to him. So you have to be able to admire him as a businessman, even if he's made some really terrible decisions in his career. I don't know anyone who's ever been in a career who hasn't, so you can't really blame him for that. I just don't necessarily see him as satanic. 
uh, in any particular way. I mean, and especially, I don't understand this. He's never tried drugs or alcohol. Is that a... <laughs> is that like a lemons test or something that I'm not aware of? Drugs or alcohol? Like, do you, have you ever thought of someone who's... Uh, to me, that's straight edge. That's not satanic. You know, it's interesting because I, th- I think the same could be said of Ben Gillette. <laughs> he doesn't drink? But that's... Yeah, but that's not why... You know, I would have picked him as, as I guess, my my favorite pick for a celebrity de facto. Um, yeah, no, the uh, never tried drugs nor alcohol. That's something that probably means a great deal to the person who wrote this in, but they yeah. need to understand that it might mean absolutely nothing to somebody else who is every bit as much a Satanist as they are. Yeah, and there's, I mean, it's not like he's stating, you know, everyone must believe this with me. He's just asking an opinion and giving his. Yeah. And there's nothing absolutely wrong with that. I'm just trying to um, look at it and see if I can agree or disagree with the points given as to his cause for assigning a, a title of de facto Satanist to Trump. Um, right before that, he says, he says what he means and he means what he says. Again, I don't associate that with Satanism, um, especially in a political arena. I would think you would want to manipulate them with lesser magic. And in that case, you very rarely say what you mean and mean what you say. You're manipulating people. You're not bloviating some statement or idea of yourself. So again, I'm not entirely sure that's good. I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Satanists, again, they think of someone with an immense ego that sees themselves as the greatest thing in the world. And if that were true, Donald Trump is definitely up there. But I don't think that's true for a Satanist. I think I think a Satanist has a realistic view of their abilities, and they are egocentric about that. But they also see their faults, and they don't bloviate who and what they are. They're honest with themselves. Again, I don't ever see Donald Trump being like that. Now, to be fair, I've never had coffee with the man, so maybe he is on a personal level, but every bit of promotional side of him I've seen is not <laughs> is not that trait at all. He's, he's way out there, um, giving himself far too much credit for his own fortune and for uh, world events at large. So I don't... Yeah, yeah and that, that goes back to what I was saying, where if you want to look at him as, you know, your de facto role model, you've got to be careful about things like that, and you don't... So you don't start imitating the whole, you know... Braggartness, braggartness, bloviating, whatever you <laughs> yeah, yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. I've never used the word bloviate before. I love the word though. Such um, a fun yeah, word to say. <laughs> that's that's not something you would want to start doing. You might want to start imitating his, you know, taking his advice out of the yard of the deal or something. But you don't want to take the whole package. Yeah, it's interesting. So I I had never gone through the exercise of thinking of someone. And saying, you know what, that that person and their behavior is de facto Satanist. I've never actually done that. I've looked at historical figures and I've thought, there are satanic traits that this person is espousing, but I've never really thought he's a de facto Satanist. And it's weird because just the term, I think, you know, the, the definition as I understand it, and, and please let me know if you have a different um, understanding of it, Jesse, is that um, this person is a Satanist but they have never 
either self-identified or have been made aware of what Satanism really is. And that's why they aren't a Satanist. But they are a Satanist in the fact that they are uh, acting exactly as a Satanist would. And that, that, that idea is such a weird one because there's so many different types of people out there that are Satanists that disagree with every other person out there that's a Satanist, you know? We're such an individualistic um, uh, tribe, really. Um, but it's just, you know, de facto Satanist means they are in fact a Satanist. They just have never self-identified or been made aware of what Satanism is. I can't agree with Donald Trump. I would love it if, if Penn, <laughs> what is his name? Penn Jillette? Yeah. Yeah. I would love it if he was. I think like his bullshit TV show is amazing. Yeah. Uh, his, his comedy through entertainment and his magic shows are amazing. He's an incredibly interesting individual. Um, he's smart as hell. That's one thing that I... Okay, let's play this little quick exercise if we can. What are the traits that you would like to see in someone in order to assign the term de facto Satanist to them? Uh, like, are there you know, maybe one or two that you could... I would throw outside of the box thinking as a, a top Ooh. one. Yeah, third side perspective. Absolutely. Huh? Um I think, uh, let's do a little back and forth. So I think um, in t intellect, you would ha you study. You have to be learned in some way. You cannot just be happy with your GED and just, that's it. <laughs> like, you have to continually, somehow, whether it's just through a, a passionate hobby or a library card, you have to, or, you know, higher learning, um, you have to continually be educating yourself. Uh, is there another one you can name? Yeah, um a presence to them when, when speaking with others and not necessarily public speaking, not necessarily mm -hmm. being, you know, the center of attention, but being able to control interactions with people. Yeah. No, that's a really good one. Um, God, sense of style. Like, I, I was, yeah, was going to go with that one next. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got it first. You got to have a sense of personal aesthetics, whether it's something you do just naturally or whether it's something that you put yourself together in. You just have to be able to own uh, how you represent yourself and, you know, how, how you how you connect with the world around you um, in a public sphere. Um, do you want to do one more or do you think we're good? I'll, yeah, I've got one more. Uh, okay. A resistance to collectivist thinking. And I think that's where Donald Trump Ooh. falls falls down. Yeah, forgetfulness of path orthodoxies, I think, uh, falls perfectly in line with that. Um, it is uh, it is imperative to be able to educate yourself about what it is you're talking about. <laughs> and obviously, I never do. <laughs> but... <laughs> <coughs> I think that's a really fantastic one. Um, I, I didn't plan for this. <laughs> so, yeah, neither did I. So I think I, we've come up with six. That's okay. good enough. That's really good. Okay, I'm happy with that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. So just on the, the discussion we've had is a way of uh, closing it down. Um, that's awesome that you see Donald Trump as a de facto Satanist. Um, if there are things, again, I'm just parroting what Jesse said. If there's things that you like about him, uh, that's great. Champion those. And if they work with your life, uh, pick them up. Uh, but don't fall into the trap of trying to mimic him or someone else. Because then, one, you're not an individual. And two, you're falling into the sins yourself. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I don't personally see him as a de facto Satanist at all. I've, I've seen too many video clips of his own speeches 
to think of him in a positive way. Um, so for me, there's no fucking way at all. What do you think? Uh, do you think he could be a de facto Satanist? Jesse? No, no. But I, I do see him as, as somebody that you could use as a role model in particular situations. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we'd love to hear what anyone else out there thinks about either Donald Trump or other individuals. Uh, if you think that someone's a de facto Satanist, hey, why don't you write us? Info9centspodcast.com. Let us know what you think. If you absolutely disagree with us, shoot it back to us and uh, we'll uh, we'll read all about it. Let's do a little something different with Heather Height. And then, yes, I dream of Jesse. Hey, this is Island Bob Mon speaking on behalf of Ice in this boy. Listen, you are so ugly, man. Put on this sigil of Baphomet. Look at you, no. You're so sexy now, man. Here, give it back. That one's mine, boy. I say give it back, or am I gonna cut you, no, boy? You want your own, then go to iSeedness.com and get your own, man. They got everything you need. They got sterling silver pendants, rings and medallions too. They got an LED wall plaque for your man that you can customize for your sexy self. Whatever you need, they got that boy. Hear me now, iSeatness.com. And say it with me now, iSeatness.com. The highest embodiment of satanic products, man. Go there now and get sexy. segment of something different with other hype i'm doing another cartoon episode yay this is another one of the censored 11 from warner brothers this one is called tin pan alley cats and it's a warner brothers animated short from 1943 directed by bob clampett just like uh, snow black and the seven dwarves kind of a follow-up um, like snow black it focuses on african-american culture of the 1940s jazz music and world war ii but uh, Tim Pang Alley Cats is also a tribute to the legendary Fats Waller. I love doing these segments because I get to really focus on jazz culture of the 1940s, and I remember seeing Fats Waller on TV occasionally when I was a kid. I watched a lot of old movies. I'm not like 70. I'm only like 46, so let's not, you know, I don't even want to hear it. I'm just, just get that out of your head. Not a funny joke. Not funny. I'm not that old. Just watched a lot of TV. So I had no idea who he was at the time, and I couldn't have explained who he was any more than I could who Jimmy Durante was or Mae West or Bilbo Jangles Robinson, but these were all people that were these huge personalities that were on TV in these old movies (laughs) that kind of stuck out in my mind. I knew that there was something special 
about him like oh big deal you know right okay good for you heather you picked out that there was something special about somebody who was already a star and dead before you were born so i can't discuss tin pan alley cats without talking about fats waller all of the warner brothers band 11 were taken out of syndication by united artists due to racist themes and depictions of african americans reminiscent of darky iconography again these themes are also apparent in this short, but I kind of take exception to that description of the Fats Waller cat. The expressions in the character are pretty reminiscent of Fats Waller himself. In fact, Fats was so expressive the cartoon version seems a bit subdued by comparison. But Fats, along with just about every other black entertainer of the time, have been criticized for taking stereotypical roles in films, including those facial expressions. I even have like this vague memory of someone in my family talking about Fats Waller specifically, saying he was known for cooning at the camera. It was one of those conversations I remember the gist of more than the words, but what I got out of it, I think, is that he had to. I just, I think it's weird that I even have a childhood memory about somebody talking about Fats Waller. I, I don't even, probably my pop-up, I don't know. My thoughts on this are reflected pretty well by what his son says in this clip from Fats Waller, a documentary. He couldn't have any kind of statue, so they wanted him to be a shoeshine boy. My father said he would not play a shoeshine boy. He didn't give a damn what they did, right? And then he turned around and he said, well, how about an elevator boy? He said, okay, I'll play an elevator boy, but I will not play a shoeshine boy. So when I stopped to think about that, I said, he got them to give in just a little bit but what's the difference between an elevator boy and a shoeshine boy it's really not anything different except that my father wasn't going to give that he wasn't going to give all the way down mr bolden i'm the one who's sure delighted to see you back thanks man you're looking fine uh i hate to bother you boss but i thought maybe you could find a spot for me in your new show well you take a tip from me ben your spot's right here in this elevator thank you sir thank you sir a lot of times i hear especially black people talk about what, why did those people in those days act like that? But that's the only way they could make it in pictures. I mean, they didn't have any money to make pictures. The white people had the money, so the black people had to go along. And the dues that they had to pay, Man Tan Mall and all these old stars, they, they call them handkerchief heads and whatnot, but that's the only way they could get in. And once they got in, they tried to make it a little better. And today, it's all together different, but it's people like my father and Man Tan Mall and Willie Best, those guys are the guys that brought, made it able for the guys to do what they're doing today. So you gotta pay your dues, you know what I mean? This topic also brings to mind Eddie Murphy's thoughts on racism and slavery, heard in this clip from his comedy special, Delirious. All right, racism. I ain't hooked up in all that racism shit. My motto is life is just be happy with motherfuckers. I ain't into all that racism shit. Racism ain't as bad as it used to be anyway, man. I mean, it's fucked up, but they don't call niggas niggas no more and shit. White people don't say it, especially when there's niggas around, so I guess I wouldn't know it. <laughs> I went to Texas, though, looking for racism about two months ago. I had a showdown in Texas, got off the plane and shit, walked up looking for racism, but my friends always told me, you better not go to Texas. They'll fuck you up. <laughs> and when the mother, my Martin Day brother here, that shit, they be like this, what? They ain't fucking nobody up. Brothers act like they couldn't have been slaves back 200 years ago. It ain't like the motherfuckers d d like that shit. I wish I was a slave, I would fuck somebody up. <laughs> 
shit. Tell me to bail some motherfucking cotton. I would have been on the street and shit. You would have came up and said, hey, yo, nigga, bail this cotton. Oh, I said, suck my dick, master. like that shit. The first dude that got off the boat said that shit. Bail that cotton. Fuck you, motherfucker. Other motherfuckers said, we'll bail the shit. Just keep that shit away. Just keep that fucking shit away from me. <laughs> I got off the motherfucking plane, walked off, got up, walked up my bag, my all my black shit on, black leather, big ass medallion and shit on like this. Little white dude walked up and said, that's your bag? I said, yeah, it's my fucking bag. Why, motherfucker? A black man can't have a suitcase? Now, on to the plot. Tim Pan Alley Cats opens with Fats Waller Cat singing on his way to a Saturday night on the town. He stopped as he passes Uncle Tom Cat's mission by the pastor who warns him not to go into the den of iniquity next door, the Cat Cat Club, of course. The pastor tries to scare Fats Waller Cat away by telling him that he will be tempted with wine, women, and song. So, of course, Fats Waller Cat can't get through the doors fast enough. The repurposing of audio and video from earlier cartoons is apparent here because, well, all of the other characters are cats. Humans are tending the bar. The woman jitterbugging is supposedly reused as well, but she has ears and whiskers, so they either drew them on or whoever added that information to Wiki was mistaken. In the same Wiki post, it says that Fats Waller Cat and Louis Armstrong Trumpeter Cat are also from another cartoon, but there's no citation, so... And I don't even know why that would be. The jazz tune, Nagasaki, is very popular in many animated shorts of the time, actually in, like, lots of movies too, so it's not surprising that it's reused here. Our hero gets so intoxicated with all of this jazz music that by his request he gets blown into another dimension. Apparently too much jazz causes hallucinations. Aside from the addition of Hitler and Tojo Hideki bowling pin people and a Stalin kicking bowling pin Hitler in the ass to the beat, this jazz-induced acid trip is the same surreal place Porky Pig goes to to find the last dodo in the 1938 short Porky Goes to Wacky Land. And it's a good thing too because Warner Brothers had to reuse all of it due to budget constraints and war shortages. You know, because of the government calling all its citizens to donate their creativity and originality to help the war effort. Because of that, it is lacking compared to Snow Black. When Waller Cat comes down from his bad trip, he is so shook up that he runs next door to join the pastor and others singing in front of the church. But like most born-agains, he'll probably be back in the club next Saturday. So I hope that you enjoyed this review of Tin Pan Alley Cats. It's not quite as in-depth and long as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because it's kind of the same themes. But I did learn a lot about Fats Waller. So totally check out the uh, the whole um, Fats Waller documentary is on YouTube. I think it's in like four or five parts. It was pretty cool. And enjoy this last song um, that was written by Fats Waller. When I close, it's not the whole song, but look it up to listen to the whole thing. It's What Did I Do to Be So Black and Blue. This has been another segment of Something Different with Heather Height. You can find me, I'm Heather Height everywhere. Just, you know, like Google Heather Height and get past all the 
things that Google tells you about the height of Heather Locklear and the height of the Heather plant. And um, eventually you'll get to things specifically about me, Heather Height. And I'll talk to you next week. Hail Satan. Out in the streets, shuffling feet, couples passing two by two. And here am I, left high and dry, black, and cause I'm black, I'm blue. All the race fellas crave high yellows, gentlemen prefer them light. I'm just another spade who can't make the grade. Looks like there's nothing but dark days in sight. With a cold, empty bed, springs hard as lead. Pains in my head and I feel like old Ned. What did I do to be so black and blue? Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to dress me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Oh, I, I assume that was part... I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests... You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. If you Google retirement planning, you're going to come up with a bunch of links talking about IRAs and 401ks and maybe some guidance on asset allocation. This is all well and good. This is what I think of as retirement planning for muggles. I want to talk about retirement planning for Satanists, but let's start with the muggle version just to get our heads in the right place. Muggle retirement planning is meant to ensure you have enough money to live off of so that you can stop working at a particular age and yet still maintain a reasonably comfortable lifestyle. Smart muggles will invest across various asset classes and periodically rebalance their portfolios. Dumb muggles will get a job with a 401k, try to pick the best investment options available through their employer, max out their contributions, and hope for the best. What smart muggles are doing takes effort and requires research. What dumb muggles are doing is letting someone else call the shots. How will you invest your money within, within a 401k? Well, the only choice you have are what's available in your employer's plan. And by the way, you're opted in for ever-increasing contributions unless you take action to opt out. Now, I'm not saying 401ks are a bad thing, but if you think there's nothing scamish about them, think again. If you have participated in a 401k for a year or more, you have probably received a letter in the mail stating that such and such a fund is no longer available, and unless you take action, your money will automatically be transferred to this other comparable fund. Let me explain the scamishness of this. Funds disappear when they perform badly. No one's going to invest in, a, in an option unless it has a history of good returns. And you might think you're being helped out by having your money automatically transferred to a better comparable fund. But the plan may not be better. In fact, all you can be sure of is that it's comparable. Past performance does not guarantee future returns. If it did, your old fund would still be on the menu. By deleting poor performing funds, it gives the illusion that funds never perform poorly. It gives the illusion that there is less risk. 
Of course, over time, if you keep losing money and having your investment options moved around, you might catch on, but many people set and forget it. Sign your name once and all the rest happens automatically. Automatic deductions, automatic increases to your percentage contribution, automatic movements of monies as funds disappear, and perhaps even automatic changes in asset allocation if you've chosen one of those target year funds. And you only have to sign your name once. Doesn't it seem like something here should require your approval? And if that still doesn't sound scamish to you, let's talk fees. If your fund goes up 5% and then goes down 5%, do you end up right where you started? No, because you were paying fees, and let's say there were 1% fees. If it was a 1% fee, you only went up 4%, and then you went down 6%. Fees are actually uglier both in their complexity and in their scamishness, uglier than that, but that's fees in a nutshell, and 1% is actually a fairly low fee. I'm not, again, I'm not saying a 401k is a bad thing. Someone is always making money off of a 401k. You just need to make sure that someone is you. But I don't just want to talk about retirement planning for muggles. I went into it to show how badly wrong things can go, even if you have the best intentions and believe you are correctly following the playbook for a guaranteed win. Investments matter because it will suck to be broke in your final years. But you know what else will suck? Having a life full of disappointments. And to quote Mark Twain, 20 years from now you will be... 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do by the things you, you did do. Now, as it happens, being broke and having a life full of disappointments seem to have a correlation. If you buy things that you think will make you happy, but in fact they leave you disappointed, and you do this consistently, you will end up both broke and disappointed. So buy things that will make you happy. They come in two classes, tools to reduce unpleasant experiences and tools to increase pleasant experiences. Everything else is just clutter. If you think that sounds like crazy talk, bear with me. But I also want to state outright that not all tools are created equally. So don't you don't just want to keep the tools and lose the clutter. You want to keep only the best tools. But let me explain this whole tools and clutter thing more clearly. Studies have shown that we are more likely to think money was well spent if it bought us an experience that helped us grow as individuals or connect with others in a way that brought us pleasure. The recent conclave of the Church of Satan is a great example of this. Whatever a financial burden the event put on its attendees, they would almost have to try to make it a waste. They would have to be the wet blanket, the stick in the mud, hiding out in their hotel room the whole time. Events like that offer growth and or connection have been proven to increase happiness. So buying your ticket was buying a tool. Studies have also shown that we are more likely to think money was well spent if it bought us a way to avoid unpleasant tasks. I hate vacuuming, so guess who owns a Roomba? <laughs> Examples don't have to be that explicit. I also hate having to act extroverted on a day-to-day -day basis, so guess who wears red high-heeled shoes to work? Lesser magic is all about getting your way while avoiding the unpleasant, less productive, conventional ways of getting things done. Tools of lesser magic are just that, tools. Now, if the stuff we buy makes us happier when, we, when it involves pleasant experiences or avoids unpleasant experiences, then what we're basically saying is the stuff we buy makes us happy when it causes us to spend our time well. Going back to the conclave example, you might have been strapped for cash and bought in anyway. Once there, it's already paid for. There were no refunds for backing out. So buying in forced you, if that's not too strong a word to use, it forced you to spend your time growing as an individual or connecting with others in a pleasant way. Because what else were you going to do? Sit in your hotel room? Leave early? For those of you who attended, you invested in your own happiness. 
going back to the Roomba example, I have this thing docked in the corner of my living room where it quietly sits, emitting a soft glow around the word clean. <laughs> clean! What a happy word that is. All I have to do is touch the word clean with the tip of my toe and the whole downstairs will, downstairs will be clean. My neighbor came over and saw it and he said he got rid of his because it was an energy drain. An energy drain? Knowing I need to haul out the vacuum and I only have time to do that once a week, and by the time I get around to doing it, the house is a pit. That's an energy drain. <laughs> My Roomba is not an energy drain. It's an investment that makes me happy. Now let's talk clutter. Know any old people who are constantly giving things away? These are people who, during their lives, have amassed a lot of clutter and, at the, time, at the end of their lives, are finally, finally get that what doesn't make you happy drains you of happiness. So they're looking to unload. Now don't think that they're being mean about this if they offer you their stuff. Often they want their things to go to someone who needs them or wants them. What they realize is that they ne neither need or, ne need or want them, hence it's clutter for them. But if it's a well-made chair or a crystal chandelier or a hand-sewn rug, whatever it is, they realize someone they know maybe couldn't afford it on their own and might want be happy to have it. They bought it thinking it would make them happy. It isn't making them happy. So now they are giving it away thinking giving it will make them happy and receiving it will make the recipient happy. They're going for a win-win scenario. But don't lose sight of the wisdom they've that they're now demonstrating. What doesn't make you happy drains from your happiness. So what is clutter then? Anything you spend your money on that doesn't either help you avoid something unpleasant or help you enjoy an experience. Is your car clutter? Well, the next time you're driving to work in a snowstorm, ask yourself if you'd rather be walking. But also ask yourself if you could work fewer hours if you had chosen a cheaper model. Perhaps a shiny new Volvo would be clutter, where a used Kia would be a tool. Is your Xbox clutter? Well, ask yourself if you use it to connect with others, sharing in the fun experience of playing the same game, or if it's merely an escape from life. Is the outfit you're wearing clutter? Well, do you have to take time out of your busy, set, your busy day to take it to the dry cleaners or to iron it and after hand washing it? Do you get that ambiguous feeling every time you pull it out of the closet thinking, yeah, it looks great on me, but if I wear it, then I've got to clean it. When we think of clutter, we think of things like paperback books that we've read once and we'll probably never read again, and we put them on the bookshelf anyway. That's muggle clutter. That's obvious clutter. You should lose that too, but just don't stop there. Activities can be clutter. A hobby you once enjoyed, but now only participate in because you've invested so much time and effort already, that's clutter. And if having the tools for that hobby in sight makes you feel compelled to do something you no longer enjoy, get them out of sight. Life's too short, and you don't want to look back and regret time wasted that could have been spent on more pleasant experiences. A big part of retirement planning is what you invest your money in. As Satanists, we need to think outside the playbook of the 401k. Discipline is abstinence if indulgence isn't part of the plan. So study how to indulge. Study how to invest your money and your time. Twenty years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. Fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Um, yeah, I, I've always had a problem with uh, the idea of 401ks. Uh, one, I, I'm never quite sure if they're going to fully roll over to the next job, and I never, even though I've been at my current job for a very long time, I've... I've never gone into a job thinking I'm going to retire here. So it's always been like so tough for me. Um, 
do you are you happy with the uh, with your retirement plan that you have right now? You don't have any details or anything, but just are you happy with it? No, I need to actually. That's that's part of what made this episode come about is I'm really looking into what what we've got in place and how everything needs to get straightened out. It's weird because the, the idea of retirement to me is is foreign. Like I don't. It's only foreign in that I don't see what I do as work, and I could literally do it at any time, anywhere on the planet at this point, really. Um, there are only a few places I wouldn't be able to do it because of internet connectivity. So I like I could literally work anywhere on my ass or standing up at a desk or anything. And so I, I just don't see what I do as work. So the idea of retiring to me is so weird. Like I will never do my work thing again, but you, like the idea is right not to work anymore. And you work in order to have money to live your life in the comfortable way that you want to live. But by retiring, you're hoping to have saved enough so that you can not work and enjoy the life that you live with all that extra time those extra eight hours to do other things that you're ha just the idea is so weird to me like i i don't want to stop working that's part of what i find exciting about life I, that's part like there was no such thing as retirement in human history up what like a hundred years ago like i you just sort of died <laughs> that, that was retirement so it's a weird construct to me. Like, I never really fully grasped it. I do like the idea of having more free time. I like the idea of not having to work for money. That's really a nice idea. So by that notion, I, I should be, you know, having a, a more solid plan. But again, you know, like like you just said, I'm, I'm not... If there ever was a point when I said, I don't want to work at this date, I am not at that place right now. <laughs> you know, to, to, my plan has not started in order to make that happen. And it's weird because it's something that every single person I've ever met says, you need to do this now. The earlier you start, the easier it is. <laughs> and I'm such a terrible person started yet. It's like this weird pang of guilt in the back of my head. Well, it, it also depends a great deal on what you do because... Well, I mean, it's not like, you know, if you get old and feeble and then to roll around in a wheelchair, you couldn't still do your job. You could. But then again, what if you lose your eyesight? Yeah. You know, maybe then you couldn't. Or minds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, or or your mind. I mean. Fuck! Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not just, you know, I don't, a lot of people, a lot of people look at retirement as I don't want to work past this date. Mm -hmm. But another way to look at it is I may not be able to work past this date and I might still live another 20 years beyond that anyway. So, or, or, or maybe not, I won't be able to work, but I won't be able to do what I'm doing now. I like that way of looking at it. I mean, it's a terrible idea, but I like that way of looking at it. Oh, I've never actually thought of it that way at all. Um, all right. I think you've inspired me <laughs> to get off my fucking ass. I mean, we have savings and we have savings for the kids too, but it's not like a retirement savings. You know what I mean? Oh man. Well, that's, that's amazing. I, I, I know you've given me something to think about. So I know the other people listening you have as well. Um, that's fantastic. Great episode, Jesse. Thank you. Where can the good folks listening find a little bit more about you online? I'm on Facebook occasionally. Get out there once in a while. Um, as Jesse Twain, I also blog at Drafts from My Satanic Windbag 
at wordpress.com and they can email me at idojesse at gmail.com. Hell yeah. Well, I definitely suggest everyone check out the blog. Uh, check out Jesse online. She is a wonderful well of insight. Uh, and I love to... <laughs> I was going to say I love to tap that well, but that sounds so fucked up that I'm not... Okay, I've already said it, so now it's out there, but that's not what I meant. <laughs> it is funny, though. <laughs> uh, let's, do, let's do a little between the horns and then uh, close this episode down. Did you ever want to sell your soul to the devil? Have all your wildest dreams become reality? Just sign a blood on the dotted line. Of course, not everyone can find the crossroads, so let me make it easy for you. Tune in every month to Nine Cents, and I'll bring you Down to the Crossroads. We'll discuss the blues, the devil, and everything in between. Down to the Crossroads with your host, Aaron Casabaugh. Every month, only on NineCentsPodcast.com. Satanism demands study, not worship, and I'm looking for a few outstanding study partners. So put on your thinking horns with me, Warlock M.A. Mandrake. It's time to read Between the Horns. The title of this number is Craven Images. Horror legend Wes Craven has died. A week later, I'm still having trouble processing this regrettable news. Wes Craven had as much of an impact on my childhood imagination as Jim Henson. Every weekend, I would go to the video store, because those still existed in the 1980s, to rent one video game and one horror movie. I spent lots of time deciding on each, studying the same boxes week after week. It was tough to find a new movie that fascinated me as much as even the worst Nightmare on Elm Street pictures. So on many a Friday evening, it was Freddy Krueger yet again. I even rented the Nintendo video game, which was very, very loosely based on Dream Warriors, the third and best in that series. However, I couldn't seem to recall the teenagers jumping ten feet into the air to punch bats and spiders. But I was a Freddy fan, with my talking Freddy doll and drawings of Freddy in my sketchbook, I'd put up with anything to feed my monstrous imagination with more and more Freddy. That character's combination of a sinister presence, unfettered creativity, and goofy sense of humor were some of my early satanic influences. He would have been a great role model if it weren't for his bad habit of murdering children. For that fault alone, Freddy Krueger cannot be considered truly satanic. Those cinematic nightmares even spilled over into my reality. When I was a little boy, I frequently visited the American Museum of Natural History with my dad. We would draw the skeletons and stuffed specimens in our sketchbooks and laughed at the detailed, bizarrely instructional diorama called how to get bitten by a snake. Check that out for a hearty chuckle at the sin of stupidity. <laughs> then we would cross the street to visit Maxilla and Mandible, a now defunct treasure trove of a store that specialized in animal skeletons. One Saturday afternoon, while browsing through the bones, 
we saw none other than Heather Langenkamp, the actress who played Nancy Thompson, the protagonist in the three best Nightmare on Elm Street films. That was an exciting moment for an adolescent horror nerd. And in the perfect setting, it was magical. And as an adult, I got paid to be a Wes Craven fan. A film composer hired me to do a spot-on impression of Ghostface from Wes Craven's Scream series. As a Satanist, I can't think of a better way to make money than to apply my talents toward productive indulgence. But that's not all. Just over a year ago, I may or may not have met Wes Craven himself at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I said to this possible look-alike, You look a lot like Wes Craven. His response was mischievously noncommittal. I can't even remember what he said, but that moment lingers in my memory like a dream. Craven's death got me thinking about something that crosses my mind from time to time. As one of many horror fans in the Church of Satan, I occasionally wonder what, if anything, that genre has to do with Satanism. This means exploring a third-side perspective that varies with each Satanist, so I'll just have to spew my opinions. There are mentions of horror films and literature throughout Satanic media, but this form of entertainment almost always perpetuates old-fashioned stereotypes that make us look like murderous wackaloons. I dare say that includes both The Devil's Reign and Rosemary's Baby, two classics that many of us favor, but even in those cases, the only truly satanic elements have little to do with the supposedly satanic premises. In The Devil's Reign, it would be the fact that Magus LeVay served as an advisor, as well as the movie's campy humor. In Rosemary's Baby, the most satanic aspect is how difficult it can be to identify Satanists. We could be the slightly eccentric elderly couple next door, or highly regarded professionals, or, or actors, and many of us are. But what about horror in general? These aren't all devil stories, thank Jeebus. We'd never live them down. Most of the time, there's some other variety of villain terrorizing average citizens. Maybe that's satanic enough. The cathartic fun of seeing a bunch of boring idiots getting their lives shaken up by the manifestation of their most irrational fears. While we Satanists condemn crime, especially violent crime, I think most of us like to see the average folks squirm every now and then. At least in movies, or while they're watching them. Of course, that excludes events such as that infamous mass shooting in a movie theater. The killer, who does not deserve to be named, should have gotten the death penalty. But I digress. In one of my favorite Charles Adams cartoons, a crowd sits in tears in a movie theater. All but one, that is. Fester Adams is grinning, even snickering at whatever is on that silver screen. Try a Google image search for Fester Movie Theater to see it for yourself. Surely I am not the only Satanist who finds himself in a similar situation while enjoying a horror film, quietly or giddily enjoying what the rest of the audience finds shocking. And then there's our sympathy for outsiders, such as Frankenstein's monster, King Kong, and the creature from the Black Lagoon, the last of which is even mentioned in Magus Gilmore's book The Satanic Scriptures for that very reason. 
Most of my own artwork involves the lovingly detailed depiction of monsters straight from my imagination. Friends and acquaintances alike often express affection for these grotesque beings. Perhaps that is because I draw them with sympathy. I don't care at all for that so-called horror subgenre commonly known as torture porn. Saw had a great soundtrack, but otherwise, whatever. If you like them, go ahead and get your sadistic kicks, but I like a horror picture with more imagination. Disagree if you must, but I'll take Freddy Krueger over Jigsaw any day. Or night. I mean, come on, a once-human monster who creates lethal nightmares? Don't get me wrong, the character is absolutely vile. I'm cheering for the teenagers to survive, but what a premise. I'll always be grateful to the late Wes Craven for this surrealistic innovation. This loose meditation is far from exhaustive. The topic is worthy of its own podcast. For that, you could just listen to Terror Transmission, hosted by Magister Matt G. Paradise. Now there's a horror fan and a swell satanic gentleman. In the end, I think the most universal appeal of horror for Satanists is its evocativeness. Even the worst horror films must earn their inclusion in the genre by setting a mood, creating an environment, invoking some unknown power. Evocation is the showbiz that makes religions go round, including ours. And since we're willing to admit that, we are able to enjoy a good horror film as a genuinely religious experience. Until next time, this is Warlock Mandrake saying, Hail Craven and Hail Satan. Hi, right, people. That's going to do it for yet another show, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can find us in social media, Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, MySpace, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you find us. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We really appreciate it, and it helps us rise to the top. Yeah, you can download the shows Monday via the RSS feed set found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm. Stitcher and YouTube, of course, I already mentioned that, and you can subscribe through iTunes or wherever you get your RSS uh, feed readers, you can subscribe to uh, Nine Cents there as well. And of course, if you like to continue to study, if you like to continue to learn, and if you want to learn a little bit more about Satanism, the Satanic Bible, the Satanic Scriptures, and ChurchOfSatan.com are the places that you should go first. And remember, the only way we're going to continue this is via your interaction. Help spread the word. Tell uh, tell a friend. Tell grandma. Tell uh, mom and dad. Nine Cents is here, and they will love it. Once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Jesse. Jesse, fantastic. Um, well, until we can chat again, and uh, to the listeners, until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan.